Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana, and I'm sad to say that today my partner in crime and co-host Simone Malaz is enjoying a well-deserved retreat uh, and vacation in sunny California. I got to enjoy some of the uh, the spirits from the Food, Wine, and Dine show right before this, so I'm not too upset. She did miss a good show, but... Uh, We've got a special one for you. We're gonna. Um, we were live last week at the State of the Coast Conference in New Orleans, and uh, we were able to record some of our panels. And so I was on a panel. I moderated a panel um, called "Communicating the Coast," and so it featured some of our prior guests um, and folks who work in coastal Louisiana to get the story out, including journalist Mark Schlefstein, Chuck Perrin with the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority. Uh, Amy Wold, a former journalist with The Advocate and with uh, the Water Institute of the Gulf now, as well as Brian Boyles with Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. And you may have caught um, their premiere of Waterways on LPB last night, but um, it's a great conversation and we wanted to share it with our audiences. So without further ado, we'll uh, go back to State of the Coast, Communicating the Coast. So this recording of our panel is going to appear likely on two, because we're going to have a long panel, um, episodes of Delta Dispatches. So um, I will jump right in. We're going to kind of allow the panel to introduce themselves, talk about kind of their their work and their background. I have some specific questions for each of the panelists, um, and then some more general open-ended questions that we'll have some discussion around. And then I want to make sure that we can get to your questions. So um, we'll open it up to audience Q&A. Um, and you can kind of ask our illustrious panel um, anything that you uh, have been meaning to ask. So with that, um, I would like to kind of kick it off and have the panelists introduce themselves. But if you've ever listened to Delta Dispatches, you know we like to ask fun questions. So uh -oh. I guess I have two fun <laughs> questions in, in addition to the introduction. So, you know, we obviously the coastal situation is very dire um, and it's affected so many people. And, and last season, hurricane season, we saw how terrible the effects of hurricanes were in Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico. Um, and so, you know, not to diminish that, but we want to talk about, like, what was the best piece of coastal news you heard this year? And then the second fun question is, if you could spend any day uh, on a part of Louisiana's coast, where would it be? So I will kick it off to Mark Schlefstein to start us off. Okay, so you want me to answer those two questions first? Uh, what, what, who are you? I think you need no introduction, okay. but what who is this man? Uh, okay, who you are. who you are. So I'm, I'm the, uh, I used to say I'm the alleged environment reporter for uh, <laughs> NOLA.com, the Times-Picayune. And um, I've been reporting on environmental issues in Louisiana since 1984. Actually, since 1979, but the first five years I was in Jackson, Mississippi. And ended up doing four way, forays into Louisiana every once in a while. Um, I've been covering coastal issues almost since the day I got here. One of the first hearings that I covered was um, the environmental impact statement um, release for uh, Davis Pond, uh, Carnarvon, and uh, the never built uh, Bonnie Carey Spillway freshwater diversion projects. Um, at which all the oystermen got up and said, you know, these things are going to kill our oyster beds. So that's, that's how long ago I, I, uh, this has been going on for me. 
um, and uh, in uh, more recent years um, was uh, deeply involved in coverage prior to Katrina of um, the ability of the hurricane le uh, levee system to protect New Orleans uh, and environs. Uh, and then after Katrina, what went wrong and uh, making sure that as the levee system was rebuilt, that it was being done properly. So that's, that's. What he didn't tell you is that he's been part of three Pulitzer Prizes. <laughs> Yeah, we're very lucky to have Mark covering this issue, but with us today. And okay, so if you could spend any day on the okay. coast anywhere, where would so, you be? Any, anywhere, um, Raccoon Island, uh, especially now that it's um, been partially rebuilt, and my understanding is that there are rookeries again mm -hmm. on it. So that, that would be fun to spend a day at, and I have not done that in quite a while. Okay, well, and we'll then, talk. We can get you out there, because uh, Audubon loves the birds, so. <laughs> and, the, and the other question was? Uh, well, that's, that's it for now. We'll have more questions okay. for you uh, coming up. So Chuck, uh, introduce yourself and tell us where would you spend a, your day on the coast? Okay, um, my name is Chuck Perrin. I had the great fortune of, um, I was very lucky to grow up in a small town in, in South Central Louisiana, Ville Platte, Cajun ancestry. Um, and <clears throat> there are many opportunities in a small town to be bad and get better and have great experiences. I actually started covering police jury meetings, city council meetings, school board meetings when I was 11 years old. I was precocious. I had a school teacher who was too lazy to go out and cover it. I shouldn't say that, but uh, she got me to go and do it and bring the facts back and help put it together and write it and it would appear in the Opelousas Daily World. And by the time I was 12, they didn't know it, but this 12-year-old kid that they were given a byline to was this 12-year-old kid. Uh, but I, so I got started in that and later worked for the, uh, the Ville Platte Gazette. Um, then in, uh, when I was in high school, same teacher said, you must get into radio. And, and I did get into radio and uh, worked there. And when I was in, <coughs> worked my way through college, when I, uh, Nixon cut the student loan program during my senior year, I had to sit out a year, I worked offshore, and then went back and was the news director at the little radio station. Um, then went back to school, worked full-time at WJBO Radio in Baton Rouge while I finished my senior year, and after that got into television. I worked in uh, TV in uh, Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and Houston, mostly as sports, but in those days I also did weather and news and talk shows and and all sorts of things. So I have, a, I have a, the experience of working uh, print and, uh, and broadcast um, uh, from an early age. I, I, I would not say that I was a great journalist, but I certainly uh, got exposure to uh, some great journalists, and I'm still learning from them. But I, I did learn on the grassroots level what the needs of the media are and, and what it takes to get uh, uh, coverage, or, or at least in the old days, it's, it's certainly changing all the time. If I was to spend my time on the coast, uh, I work for CPRA, State Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, and some of the greatest things that I've seen us do, and I get so excited about it, uh, are rebuilding the barrier islands. And Shell Island was one of my particular favorites, and it's, it's like, I, I am so pleased with that island, but we just recently uh, finished uh, rebuilding uh, Whiskey Island, the old Illinois chain, and that is absolutely magnificent. 
and just to be out there amongst this thing that was created from open water to this land and built in such a new, engineered, and more sustainable way. Uh, I take a lot of pride in that, even though I didn't have a darn thing to do with it. I just get to talk about it, but those are, those are two magnificent places. Great, thank you. Amy? I'm Amy Wold. I'm the Director of Communications with the Water Institute of the Gulf. Um, I spent a better part of, well, more than 20 years being a newspaper reporter at both in uh, Washington State, and then I moved to Houma, and then to Baton Rouge, so I always cover an environment and coastal. I, I absolutely adore it. I actually adored it, but I, I joined the Institute about a year and a half ago, and it is really fun. So um, it's a new kind of fun, let's put it that way. Um, my place that I would go, any place that I get to spend a day, there's this little spot just south of Dulac. You can pull your car over, unload your kayak, and go fishing in marsh without any motorboats anywhere at all, and it is beautiful. So that's where I'd go. Thank you for sharing your secret spot with us. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, Brian. Uh, I'm Brian Boyles, I'm the Vice President of Content of the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. Uh, I think I would return to the rainy sanctuary uh, in Vermilion Parish. Uh, I'll put this out there publicly as I've dropped a lot of hints that now that the overnight lodge is there, I feel like I'd like to be invited and, and stay overnight. So, uh, just so you know, job again. The Louisiana Endowment Communities uh, is uh, the, na the state chapter of the National Endowment Committee. So we receive federal funding through the NEH and then work as a public-private partnership all around uh, the state. Um, we are known for our magazine. I don't think we're always known as you know, a journalistic outlet. Um, we had funded for many years a variety of projects that had to do with the coast, but we ourselves have never really taken an intentional step towards being part of the kind of conversations that go on here. And I think, um, and in some ways rightfully, we were, we were primarily a funder for most of our, of our life. Um, but we have been developing programs over the last 10 to 15 years that uh, we, in the last two years, really realized could be brought to bear uh, on the coastal uh, crisis. Uh, and really, some of this came into focus when um, I was taken on a flyover with, with Mr. Richie Blink a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I think what we've realized more and more is that uh, even as a statewide organization that deals in culture and that deals in education, it really works, you know, a lot in Shreveport, a lot in Monroe, um, that we were somewhat isolated from the coastal crisis. And if it, if it took a flyover for me to understand that, that probably I was both part of the problem and the audience for the kind of uh, reporting uh, that all these folks have done, but maybe a different type of reporting that was more up the alley of a humanities organization. We also um, have been a big funder of documentary film for more than 40 years and uh, had partnered with the Smithsonian uh, Institution on traveling exhibitions for about 15 years. They come down every two years uh, and we take them to uh, small libraries and museums around the state. Uh, and it just happened to be that we had already committed to a tour in 2018-19 around the idea of water's role in uh, American society. Um, and really kind of a broad you know, look at that. What we've previously done is, is, is funded those exhibitions, funded the, the libraries and museums to go ahead and do their local programming. What we wanted to do this time was to really uh, take a stab at giving them a lot more content um, and more of a turnkey model so that while it would still be a conversation around water in Louisiana, you know, the folks in Shreveport and Alexandria and Ruston, they would be hearing about coastal issues. Um, and 
LEH really, uh, we don't approach any of the things that we do without asking what the need is. We're not rushing to be in any space. Um, and in this one, though, we felt like that was a need to get the message out to those people who, you know, probably are going to have to vote on those issues um, and giving them information. Giving them information, I think, on what's in the master plan, but also doing it at a scale where they understand the community's impacted, the history's impacted. Um, so we funded uh, four short documentary films that, uh, that, that were shown the day before yesterday and be shown on Louisiana Public Broadcasting on, uh, on Wednesday. Um, we're bringing the Smithsonian exhibition here starting at Phoenix High School uh, at the end of the month and I, I did bring a flyer. And then the last uh, year and a half we've been running feature articles in Louisiana Cultural Vistas looking again at the people that are being impacted by both uh, land loss but also uh, the, the plans in the master plan and the people that are implementing that technology too. I think what's been interesting to us is to step back and, and really having heard what was said two years ago at this conference and from other folks we've talked to, make everything we do, do really people focused because I think people like Margaret have been doing a fantastic job on that front and also explaining you know, the crisis and, and, and engineering side of it. What we do well is storytelling and I think we've tried to stay in that lane and, and it's, been a, um, it's been a really fascinating two years for us and, and looking forward to doing more. Great, and yeah, I would highly recommend anyone, please go check out the Waterways films. They're just really wonderful, as well as the, the feature stories. They really do put you know a, the people that are affected by this crisis um, at the forefront. So, uh, and you're also welcome to come back to Rainy anytime now that we actually have beds and you know <laughs> appliances and stuff. So, um, so let's start off this conversation. It's hard not to dive in talking about one of the, the biggest, um, highest profile features of uh, this the story that we've seen in a long time, um, the partnership with the New York Times and the Times Picayune, the or our drowning coast, depending where you read it, um, <laughs> the jointly reported series that came out a few months ago at this point, right? Um, so, Mark, walk us through this special feature, how it came about, and why do you think it was so important in advancing knowledge of coastal issues in Louisiana? Okay, so it's it's who you know. Uh, let's let's start with that. What, what happened with this was that uh, Dean Baquet, the executive editor of the New York Times, uh, was giving a talk at Harvard and um, was talking about the status of our completely disastrous industry of, of uh, the news, uh, newspapers, print, and uh, was talking uh, and, and through the conversation uh, kept coming back to to the question of, well, how do you, you know, how, how do you make things better, especially at the local level where they're really at uh, having the biggest problems, seeing the biggest cutbacks. You know, our, our paper, we lost two-thirds of our staff over the last five years. So, um, and, and Dean said, yeah, well, we need to do something about that. We ought to be like pairing with local newspapers and doing stuff. So somebody at our parent company, Advanced Publications, uh, saw that interview and uh, called uh, called our newsroom and said, "Well, you know, why don't why why can't we be that pair?" So um, as it turns out, Dean's brother Terry Baquet at that time was the editor of our print edition, and so Terry called Dean and said, "Okay, put up or shut up." And Dean said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So that, that sort of got the ball rolling. And then the question was, well, what do, what do we do? And um, they, uh, Dean had some, some uh, 
pretty good ideas that he wanted to, to uh, talk about coastal issues in the context of climate change, and they had just hired a new climate change editor. Uh, and so they put those people together, and then on our side, we put together a couple of editors, and they dragged me into a room, and for the first time I heard about this thing, and they said, okay, what do we, you know, come up with some ideas, and we got on a teleconference call, um, went around the room, everybody introduced themselves, and Dean says, okay, Mark, so what are we going to do? And I laid out a couple ideas, and he said, well, write up a memo and send it up. So I wrote up a memo the next day. My editor got it and sort of pared it down a little bit because I write very long, as anybody knows. And uh, um, the next week, we're in New York. And at that point, we're in a, um, at a restaurant with 20 people in the room and uh, a bunch of people from my parent company, Advance, the head of um, our online operations, uh, our editor uh, and publisher, uh, Dean, his investigative editor, his business editor, um, and his climate change editor, and uh, one of his reporters, uh, John Schwartz, who had been doing quite a bit of work down here. And we did the same thing, went around the room, and Dean said, okay, so what are we gonna do, Mark? And I laid out a couple of things. Uh, from there, it, it, it sort of got reworked, and um, they put uh, one of their key reporters on it, um, uh, Kevin Sack, uh, who's a really good people reporter, uh, investigative reporter. He'd just come off a major investigative story. Um, and uh, uh, they did a couple of runs into, uh, into the New Orleans area to take a look around. And Kevin found Tim Kerner and fell in love with him. And uh, we all said, look, you know, this is... Uh, John Lafitte is, is, is the poster child for what's going to be happening, what, what communities are going to be facing as we move forward with the Coastal Restoration Program, with the Coastal uh, Protection Program, and communities are going to get left down. We should be doing some stuff about that. So that was one story that we wanted to do. And then after we were really into that, uh, into that for about a month, um, uh, I, I guess it was Dean or one of his editors said, well, you know, we're in New Orleans. Why don't we do a New Orleans piece on what New Orleans is doing? And so I, I said, well, you know, the thing to do is, is do a reset of uh, our series that we did in 2002, Washing Away. Where are things now? What is our risk? And so we ended up doing that. So we did these two big stories. Um, it took a heck of a lot of our time we had uh, our coastal team, uh, which had just been created uh, a couple of months before we started on this project. Um, we got a grant, Walton Foundation, through uh, the Society of Environmental Journalists to cover the coast. Um, and literally, th those, were the th those were the only instructions that, that Walton has ever given us is, you know, cover the coast. Uh, they love what we're doing, but they give us no directions on the kinds of stories we do. We put our two reporters from that, uh, working with uh, their reporters. Um, they got pulled off, we got pulled off. They were reporting on um, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Maria. Uh, we got pulled off to do other things as well, and the thing just sort of turned 
into one of our old time projects that took 10 months to finish. Um, and we finally got it finished and uh, the result was that we did take a, a serious look outside the levees at uh, using John Lafitte as a, an example of what, what the state, um, what its direction is and what communities are trying to do to fight back against the reality, which is that there's just not enough money to save every community. Uh, and we're gonna have to deal with that problem as we move forward. And then in our story, uh, uh, where I was uh, one of the main reporters on that, we focused on, and you can see it up here, um, um, what are the risks of New Orleans? And of course, that it, it, within the time frame of that, we had the April uh, 6th flood, so we were able to put in some of the problems with that, uh, April, August, August 5th. Um, and uh, um, and it's, it sort of grew from that, and we've been uh, sort of locally, we've been building on that ever since, and uh, the, the, the latest example of that is the series that we did, that I did this weekend, um, where again I focused on where we where we are now in in advance of the new hurricane season with all the levee systems um, turned over to us um, and and some deep think uh, an, another deep think story about um, the two ways that the Corps of Engineers is um, reviewing our levee system one from the big picture of what is it really designed to do um, and the reality that we have a, you know, we're a major metropolitan area that's protected by a levy that only gives us 100 year protection, 1% protection. And even Katrina was a bigger storm than that. So we've got bigger storms in our future. So what are we gonna do uh, with that? Um, and, um, and I'll leave it at that. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I remember that a little bit differently from, 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 from Mark, though I'm sure Mark is 100% right in, in, in so many details, but uh, the New York Times is ultimately important in setting a national news agenda, so uh, I have been was trying to involve the New York Times more and was sending them all my news releases and ultimately got to have his uh, conversations with uh, John Schwartz on the phone trying to bring him down here, and he did come down here and did a, a large series. We were the front page lead story on a Saturday mm -hmm. uh, New York Times back in... Uh, August of uh, uh, a few years ago, almost three years ago now. It was around the Katrina anniversary. 2015, 2015, yeah. And um, John, uh, in talking on the phone, uh, it was like, um, my gosh, how do you know so much about what's going on down here in the master plan and keeping up with all these details? And he says, oh, that's easy. I read Mark Schlefstein every day. <laughs> that, and that's a God's true story. So uh, John Schwartz comes down here and I take him out for that story, take him showing him all these things we're doing. And uh, it, it turned out that I believe that he and Mark only kind of knew each other more in passing. So um, this is where I think the beginning of it all was. Uh, uh, Mark and I met at uh, a bar in French Quarter, Molly's of the Market, where the press club meets on, uh, on Thursdays. And I brought John Schwartz in there and called Mark. And, uh, you know, they got to talking. They went and sat at a little table over there, and I just let them talk. And I, I think that... Uh, what, what you started out with saying, it's who you know. It's all about yeah. relationships. Well, it is. It and, is. and I think it that uh, that was the start of a good relationship. And of course, that 
not the only relationship, and everything that you said is, is so true, but I still bring it down to so, that encounter in so the bar. Let, <laughs> let me just address one other thing, and that is that, you know, at, at, when the series ran, we, we got some feedback, uh, pushback from, from the local community. Well, I mean, you guys have already written this before. I mean, what's new here? And, uh, and I, I try to explain to people what was new here is, is the audience. Um, the reality that on, on a single Sunday, uh, both in our paper and the New York Times, there was a special section on Louisiana's coastal problems. And so in addition to our much smaller um, readership today um, in print and online, um, we had you know, a million viewers in the New York Times that uh, would otherwise not have seen this. And, and that's what we saw as the significant importance yeah, of this. The, the exposure was incredible. And if you haven't seen it either on, in print or online, it's visually stunning. And I mean, I think that was another thing that just captured so many people is these incredible images going on a flyover, having that experience, but you know, in the New York Times. I, one of my favorite anecdotes after the series ran was I think a tweet from Sarah Sneath, who's also a reporter with the Coastal Desk at the Times-Picayune, and she said, anytime someone tells you not to pursue big ideas, just remember that time in a staff meeting someone said, why don't we partner with the New York Times? You know, <laughs> like, so um, one other piece of pushback, and then we can move on from this. Um, I know that folks received, or maybe you received Mark um, after the series ran was, people saying, well, it focused too much on the problem. You know, it, it was all about land loss and flood risk and the problems facing New Orleans and Jean Lafitte and other parts of the coast. But we have solutions. We have restoration projects moving forward. How did you balance that? And do you think that those, I don't know, that, that feedback was fair? Well, I, you know, for, for, for the New York Times, they, they are covering that story and they have been doing daily stories on that every once in a while, not as often as we are. We're doing, we've been doing it from, you know, from day one, and we're continuing to do it. We are, we are literally parsing the, uh, the coastal master plan, going through it and picking out individual stories and uh, individual projects and explaining what those projects are and how we're moving forward. And uh, the next one that I'm gonna be doing is uh, the Upper Barrett area uh, levy system that's been proposed along Highway 90, which you know nobody's reported on, and and it's a you know it's a significant issue because it's uh, you know it's it, it's a that's a you know if people remember all the complaints about um, uh, the wall of Louisiana way back when, um, this is a key piece of that wall that that people were complaining about, and so we have to do a good job of explaining why it's needed why now it's financially feasible, the, the state thinks it's financially feasible to do this big new levy system, and, and what are gonna be the effects? How do, you, how do you assure the environmental effects do not overwhelm the protection that it provides? Um, shifting gears a little bit, so you, know, you talk, uh, talked about you know, the, finding the character of Mayor Kerner as a, a person <laughs> to, to kind of anchor that piece, and we know, I mean, obviously people and communities are the ones dealing with this day in, day out. Um, so I wanna shift gears and talk about kind of the more cultural, um, people-focused uh, storytelling that Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities and has done through cultural vistas and waterways. So Brian, tell us a little bit about why you think it's important to cover these really complex issues through the lens of people 
and maybe highlight some of the people that you all have profiled in, in your work? Well, I think the thread, and again, when we look at our audience, we're looking at people in Louisiana and a lot of people outside of the metro area and even outside of the coastal zone. I think that we're looking um, to bridge this story with these cultural aspects. One, because that's kind of what we do. We feel like that's a contribution. And, and, and all of this started with the idea that there was, a, there was a culture that was at risk of being lost. And you have to understand that culture. I think it was said yesterday in a really great panel that Monica Barra put together about social justice, that if you don't know the history, and not just the history of land loss, but I think the history of what those communities have gone through, it's very hard to put all this in perspective. With everything that uh, I think we try, not everything, but a lot of what we try to commission around contemporary events is to find characters and find communities where empathy can be generated. And I think that's an important thing and something that the writers and the documented filmmakers have tried to do, which is to say, if I'm in Rapide's parish and this problem seems already very distant from me, and I get it either in a hyper-technical way, which I'm maybe just going to gloss over, or in a way that I feel like, well, those aren't, those aren't my people. You know, those aren't, those aren't, I can't understand that. To frame it rather in issues of, you know, here are Native Americans whose homes are going to be lost, and this is what home means to them. Well, then I can step into those shoes and say, well, wow, what, what would it be like for me to lose my home? And I think establishing and focusing on, on that sense, in that case of, of home, of, of, of faith, um, I think that, that that's a way to kind of get the story in the door and then following it with, and this is what a diversion looks like, you know, this is what marsh protection looks like. It's not an easy uh, needle to thread, I don't think. I think that I, I've, I've found it, I think it's harder for folks to do uh, as writers and filmmakers than I thought it would be to combine those two things. So I'm always like, well, okay, where's the aspect of master plan in this fantastic story you have about this? Um, but they've done a great job. You know, we started out the series in the magazine looking at the Water Institute and the generation of master plan science, a lot of the science and, and, and forecasting in the master plan. But looking over in, uh, uh, in the Takashi Channel, you know, and, 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 and talking about how there, there was cattle that walked that land. And I think images like that and talking to the cattle farmers, that, again, it, it makes it relatable. And I think that, that, again, I feel like was more in our wheelhouse. You know, I, when, when we went to Rainy, that's something that, that, that struck me right away was, wow, I, I'm envisioning cows and then driving them across from the Gulf, you know, down uh, through South Louisiana. I think looking at stories that way and embracing what, what is pretty, pretty frankly, entertaining content, which is the history and culture of Louisiana, and getting it to a point where you say, this is what could be lost, and these are maybe the same, this is the same family that participated in that tradition, and they're now participating in restoration efforts. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that, that um, through line is what we've been trying to focus on. And I think with the filmmakers, you know, we had, um, a long history of working with a lot of different filmmakers. We sort of looked at the list of the folks who had done great work overall in the last few years and some other organizations and went to them and said, you know, this opportunity is here. These are sort of the parameters we're looking at. Do you have story ideas? So Kevin McCaffrey, who's done great work around the coast, could say, Wendell Purell would be a great story, um, who's also here. I think that that, you know, that's a, that's a case where we knew something about that filmmaking. We had good people in our, in our, bullpen, um, and then looking and saying, okay, if that's the story, how are you going to explain 
all the different levels of bureaucracy window has to work through. And how are you going to explain the way that sediment diversion works along bio, would work in the Biolafouche region? I think those um, questions, again, starting with people first, I feel like we came up with some stories that, that are engaging and that hopefully through the Smithsonian exhibition are going to engage people on the coast but also around the state. And just to kind of make it a little bit more actionable for some of the folks in the room, you know, obviously, if you're a community member that has a long history and a place and your family's been there for a while, I mean, there's a story there, but you don't have to just have that direct connection to be an effective storyteller, right? So how can people, whether they're working in science or policy engineering, how can they be better storytellers to get those kind of technical aspects out to more people? That's a question I ask when I sit through a lot of the panels, <laughs> but I'm here sort of listening for, you know, what those keys are. Um, I guess, you know, from an editorial standpoint, just a Louisiana citizen standpoint, I do think that, that that quality of home is a great way to start, you know? Um, I think that it's ironic to me that we're having a struggle around storytelling because we live in a state that, like, might hold the world championship for storytelling per capita. Um, so I think that, uh, again, looking at, uh, are we more prone to want to tell a story about food? or my grandma, you know, and what, what those stories are, I think there's not many steps between those and the things that we're all talking about here. Um, so I, I guess that's what I would say is, you know, you need to find the right storytellers, but you also, I think, need to, and this is something we've been really conscious of in the last couple of issues, and, I, and I'm trying to work with writers more about, I don't think that the fallback should always be, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, the lead of the story is old boy on a powerboat looks around and sees there's no more marsh left. You know, I mean, I think that's a good lead, but there are other ways to get into this story and to get into potential loss, and I think that's that's a challenge for all of us to continue to work on, because while he is a, a endearing character and he is one that many people around the country can buy into, there are others that probably even more, um, more powerful in some sense. Well, and just one thing um, on that, you know, I think it's important to note that there's so many different perspectives and stories and people, you know, that... That's why one of the reasons I loved the Waterways films is it told the story of uh, water management and flooding from the perspective of a high school senior in New Orleans. And that's something that you know you never really would have seen and kind of having her deal with, grasp like what the, the challenges that her town, her city is facing and what she's seeing, I thought that was just such an effective lens to put on that really complex story but she's just as impacted as that cattle farmer but we're mm -hmm. not always thinking of her as the front of that story <laughs> chuck you were going to say something yeah and, and i want to hear from amy and amy you can follow up on this but um because uh, i think you understand what i'm saying but um you know what we have here and what's going on in coastal louisiana is one of the greatest stories ever told certainly in my lifetime in the last century maybe in this century uh it, it's phenomenal you know when Standing there with John Schwartz uh, when he was here three years ago, he said, Chuck, my editors will never let me put this in the paper. He said, but I got to <laughs> tell you, he says, I am so impressed. What y'all are doing here is biblical. It reminds me of Genesis, separating the land from the water. I mean, we have to understand this is huge, what we're doing here. But how do we relate that to the public? And for the people in the room and the organizations that we all work with, we, you know, we work with scientists and engineers and they speak on this level and it's not relatable in telling this story. And I think it's incumbent upon 
uh, us, uh, me as a PR person, and Amy as a former journalist who's now working with some of the most incredible scientists I've ever known, uh, to try and make people understand this, and they, they can't understand the scope of it if we're talking in, in terminology that they can't relate to. And Amy, I do want to dive in with you, because, I mean, how has that transition been from like longtime journalists to being inside an organization, helping them better communicate and get their story out. It's probably not all that different. Um, it's the same. You're still talking with scientists. You're still saying, um, "I don't think what you said is what you mean to say." Can you explain that again in baby words? Um, it's there is a lot that's different. I mean, you have a different focus. I don't do air quality anymore. I'm not covering hurricanes anymore. So there's a lot of stuff I don't have to focus on. I don't have to go cover murders anymore. So it's nice to be able to just focus on one thing. So that's been very nice. Um, going off of what everyone else has said as well, making it relatable, making a story relatable because Although a lot of people in Louisiana have access to the coast, they have experiences on the coast, there are a lot, not only in Louisiana, but in the country, that do not. They do not have a good image of what Louisiana's coast is. They think Miami, they think Florida, they think it's hard to get people, you're not driving there, mm -hmm. you know, most of the time. So how do we get someone in Shreveport? How do we get someone, I mean, this is an old, cliche, but how do you get someone in Iowa to relate to what's going on in South Louisiana? And I think that's been the challenge that has been sometimes successfully, sometimes not successfully done. So, um, but that is the challenge, is how do you make it? All right. Well, that was part one of Communicating the Coast, uh, a panel that we held last week at the State of the Coast Conference in New Orleans. Um, we are excited to feature part two next week. Um, so it'll be another week without Simone, but we hope you're enjoying this great com uh, content that we were able to produce at the conference. Um, and thanks again to the panelists, Mark Schlefstein with the Times-Picayune, Amy Wold with the Water Institute of the Gulf, Brian Boyles with Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, as well as Chuck Paradin with CPRA. So this has been another week of Delta Dispatches. I certainly miss my partner in crime, Simone, but I know she's having a great time in California. Um, go online, deltadispatches.org, and check out our latest podcast. Subscribe and rate us. We'll see you next week.